September 7th. Our reading in the Old Testament for today will be from the Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 1. We'll go through chapter 8, verse 14. Well, this uh, new section tells how the couple's marriage grew and matured in spite of problems. Some time had passed since the wedding, and the girl felt as though some indifference had developed in their relationship. She had become cool to her husband's advances, and by the time she changed her mind and responded to him, uh, he had left. Her self-centeredness and impatience, though brief, caused a separation. But she quickly moved to correct the problem by searching for her husband. Now, uh, inevitably, with the passing of time and the growth of familiarity, a marriage will start to lose its initial sparkle. Glances and touches no longer produce the same emotional response. Conflicts and pressures may creep in, causing you to lose your tenderness toward your spouse. The world is not a haven for lovers. In fact, external stress often works against the marriage relationship. But you and your spouse can learn to be a haven for each other. If intimacy and passion decline... Remember that they can be renewed and regenerated. So take time to remember the commitment you made, those first thrills, the excitement of sex, and your spouse's strengths. When you focus on the positives, a reconciliation and renewal can result. We'll read that the girl was alone outside during the night. Now, in Old Testament times, she would have been looked upon as a criminal or a prostitute and treated as such. This image symbolizes the pain she felt at being separated from her lover. The girl said that she and her lover belonged to each other. They had given themselves to each other unreservedly. You know, no matter how close we may be to our parents or our best friends, only in marriage can we realize complete union of mind, heart, and body. And the two shall become one flesh. All right, with that, let's begin our reading today. Here in the Old Testament. September 7th, the Old Testament. Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 1, through chapter 8, verse 14. Young man, I have entered my garden, my treasure, my bride. I gather myrrh with my spices, and eat honeycomb with my honey. I drink wine with my milk. Young women of Jerusalem, O oh, lover and beloved, eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of your love. Young woman, I slept, but my heart was awake. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, Open to me, my treasure, my darling, My dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew, My hair with the dampness of the night. But I responded, I have taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I have washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? My lover tried to unlatch the door and my heart thrilled within me. I jumped up to open the door for my love, and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. The night watchmen found me as they made their rounds. They beat and bruised me and stripped off my veil. Those watchmen on the walls. Make this promise, O women of Jerusalem, if you find my lover, tell him I am weak with love. Young women of Jerusalem, 
Why is your lover better than all others, O woman of rare beauty? What makes your lover so special that we must promise this? Young woman, my lover is dark and dazzling, better than ten thousand others. His head is finest gold, his wavy hair is black as a raven, his eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water, they are set like jewels washed in milk, his cheeks are like gardens of spices, giving off fragrance, his lips are like lilies, perfumed with myrrh, his arms are like rounded bars of gold, set with pearl, his body is like bright ivory, glowing with lapis lazuli, his legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold. His posture is stately, like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Such, O women of Jerusalem, is my lover, my friend. Young women of Jerusalem, where is your lover gone, O woman of rare beauty? Which way did he turn so we can help you find him? Young woman, my lover has gone down to his garden, to his spice beds, to browse in the gardens and gather the lilies. I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. Young man, you are beautiful, my darling, like the lovely city of Tirza. Yes, as beautiful as Jerusalem, as majestic as an army with billowing banners. Turn your eyes away, for they overpower me. Your hair falls in waves, like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are as white as sheep that are freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Even among sixty queens and eighty concubines and countless young women, I would still choose my dove, my perfect one, the favorite of her mother, dearly loved by the one who bore her. The young women see her and praise her. Even queens and royal concubines sing her praises. Who is this arising like the dawn, as fair as the moon, as bright as the sun, as majestic as an army with billowing banners? I went down to the grove of walnut trees and out to the valley to see the new spring growth, to see whether the grapevines had budded for the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized it, I found myself in the royal chariot with my beloved. Young women of Jerusalem, return, return to us, O maid of Shulam. Come back, come back, that we may see you again. Young man, why do you stare at this young woman of Shulam? as she moves so gracefully between two lines of dancers? How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O queenly maiden! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a skilled craftsman. Your navel is perfectly formed, like a goblet filled with mixed wine. Between your thighs lies a mound of wheat, bordered with lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the sparkling pools in Heshbon, by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose is as fine as the Tower of Lebanon overlooking Damascus. Your head is as majestic as Mount Carmel, and the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. The king is held captive by its tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are! How pleasing, my love! How full of delights! 
You are slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters, and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine, flowing gently over lips and teeth. Young woman, I am my lover's, and he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. There the mandrakes give off their fragrance, and the finest fruits are at our door, new delights as well as old, which I have saved for you, my lover. Young woman, oh, how I wish you were my brother who nursed at my mother's breasts. Then I could kiss you no matter who was watching, and no one would criticize me. I would bring you to my childhood home, and there you would teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, my sweet pomegranate wine. Your left arm would be under my head, and your right arm would embrace me. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Young women of Jerusalem, who is the sweeping in from the desert, leaning on her lover? Young woman, I aroused you under the apple tree, where your mother gave you birth where in great pain she delivered you. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy is enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. The young woman's brothers... We have a little sister, too young to have breasts. What will we do for our sister if someone asks to marry her? If she is a virgin, like a wall, we will protect her with a silver tower. But if she is promiscuous, like a swinging door, we will block her door with a cedar bar. Young woman, I was a virgin, like a wall. Now my breasts are like towers. When my lover looks at me, he is delighted with what he sees. Solomon has a vineyard at Baal Hamon, which he leases out to tenant farmers. Each of them pays a thousand pieces of silver for harvesting its fruit. But my vineyard is mine to give, and Solomon need not pay a thousand pieces of silver. But I will give two hundred pieces to those who care for its vines. Young man, oh, my darling, lingering in the gardens, your companions are fortunate to hear your voice. Let me hear it too. Young woman, come away, my love. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. It's time now to focus in on the reading of the New Testament. And today our narrative comes from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. As we read here today, we'll see that uh, by describing how their own enthusiasm had incited the Macedonians to give, the Apostle Paul was, in effect, prodding the Corinthians to rekindle their initial enthusiasm for giving. Paul wasn't naive about human behavior. The start and end of a marathon are much more thrilling than the miles in between. It does take some stubborn determination to keep going, doesn't it? 
Paul also knew that it took a community to persevere. Just as teammates will cheer their runner on in a race, so Paul was sending Titus and two other believers to the Corinthians to cheer them on. Paul reminded the Corinthians to fulfill the commitment they had already made. They had said that they would collect a financial gift to send to the church in Jerusalem. Paul was sending a few men ahead of him to make sure their gift was ready, so it would be a real gift and not look like people had to give under pressure at the last minute. He was holding them accountable to keep their promise, so that neither Paul nor the Corinthians would be embarrassed. Now, people may hesitate to give generously to God because they worry about having enough money left over to meet their own needs. Paul assured the Corinthians that God was able to meet their needs. The person who gives only a little will receive only a little in return. This is just a principle of heaven. It's the way it works. So don't let a lack of faith keep you from giving cheerfully and generously. And as we continue to read here in this passage today, we'll see that Paul wanted his readers to be generous on every occasion as he appealed to the Corinthians to give sacrificially to aid the Jerusalem congregation He reminded them that God is the source of everything good. Believers are called to be generous because of the example of the Lord of life. A stingy Christian (laughs) should be an extinct species. Generosity proves that a person's heart has been cleansed of self-interest and filled with the servant spirit of Jesus himself. That's why acts of generosity result in God being praised. And now let's begin our reading here today in the New Testament. September 7th, the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. I, Paul, really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need, and plenty left over to share with others. As the Scriptures say, They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way, so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, 
and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Our reading in the book of Psalms today is from Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19. We'll see that David was truly sorry for his adultery with Bathsheba and for murdering her husband to cover it up. He knew that his actions had hurt many people. But because David repented of those sins, God mercifully forgave him. No sin is too great to be forgiven. That's the principle we learn here. Do you feel that you could never come close to God because you've done something terribly wrong? God can and will forgive you of any sin. While God forgives us, however, He does not always erase the natural consequences of our sin. David's life and family were never the same as a result of what he had done. Although David had sinned with Bathsheba, David said that he had sinned against God. When someone steals, murders, or slanders, it's against someone else, a victim. According to the world's standards, extramarital sex between two consenting adults is acceptable if nobody gets hurt. But people do get hurt. In David's case, a man was murdered and a baby died. All sin hurts us and others. But ultimately, it offends God because sin in any form is rebellion against God's way of living. When you're tempted to do wrong, remember that you'll be sinning against God. That may help you avoid the danger. God wants a broken spirit and a broken and repentant heart. You can never please God by outward actions, no matter how good, if your heart attitude is not right. Are you sorry for your sin? Do you genuinely intend to stop? Well, God is pleased by this kind of repentance. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19. For the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. 
then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul.